don't take your dreams to the grave. So I, I was reading an article recently. Actually, it was, a, it was an article about a book titled the, F- the Five Regrets of the Dying. It was written by a palliative nurse named, uh, named Bronnie Ware. And she went through and she had, inter- she had interviewed all of these uh, people who she worked with that were dying. I'm trying to find a place to uh, put my notes so I don't have to look down at them. I can keep looking up at y'all. But she, she'd interviewed all these people who were dying. And they, this book is about the five regrets that they stated to her that they had about their life. And the number one regret was this. I wish... I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. And that's a quote, and I'm going to continue quoting. This was the most common regret of all. When people realized that their life was almost over and looked back clearly on it, it's easy to see how many dreams had gone unfulfilled. Most people had not even honored half of their dreams and had to die knowing it was due to, their cho- to the choices they had made or not made. And I, when I read that, it just really stunned me. That was a long time after I wrote this book. I wrote this book, uh, the book Don't Take Your Dreams to the Grave, back in 2005. And, uh, and I just found this like, I don't know, a year or so ago, but but it just struck me, and it struck me too. I'm you know, you know, if you know the story about the book, it's kind of a biographical, autobiographical kind of thing about me and Sherry. Uh, we have been on staff at a large church in Northwest Missouri, very successful church, uh, in the top 25 fastest growing churches in America. And the astounding part was it was in St. Joseph, Missouri, a town of about 100,000. So if you looked at the list of these churches, it was like Chicago, L.A., New York, you know, Atlanta, all of these places. And then St. Joseph, Missouri was like, what is that doing in there? But and we were both, Sherry and I were both very successful at what we did. Sherry had a volunteer staff of about 40 people that she oversaw. I at one time had oversight of the entire staff. I had oversight of a, a 61,000 square foot building project that we did. Uh, I did the media ministry back in the 90s. That was like, you know, you couldn't do this back in the 90s. So that was, it was, it was post-internet kind of. And, uh, and so we, uh, we had that, that position and we were growing and people were coming to Jesus and it was a remarkable time. But one day I was walking into my office and I can take you, I can take you back to this spot. And I heard this voice in my heart and the voice said, can you do this for the rest of your life? And my, my response was, well, yes. I mean, we're very successful. Uh, things are good. We make good money. We have good benefits. I mean, we have a good career. And then the voice said, ask another question and be happy. And I immediately said, no, I can't do that. And the reason I couldn't do it is because I had, I, I knew that in what I was doing at that time, I wasn't being true to myself and there were dreams in my heart that I knew that if I would be like these people, that I would have the same regret as them. 
that I never stepped out and said, I'm going to be who I know God created me to be, and I'm going to discover exactly what that expression looks like. Or another way to say that is I'm going to find out what I need to do to be myself. And that's a, you know, that's a huge, huge deal. And so we, we resigned our positions. It took us about a year and a half to make that transition. And I assumed that we would pastor a church someplace. That was what my resume uh, supported. And that's what we thought we would do. But we quickly discovered that we couldn't find a place. And so we set a date, March 1st, 2000, when we would resign from the church and let them transition and bring other people in to replace us, which it took uh, four to replace the two of us. But, uh, and so we stepped out on March 1st, 2000 into nothing. And all we had was a desire and obedience and that was it and so i don't advise people to do that in fact if you read the book in the introduction i i rewrote it in, on this this printing of it but in because in in the inner for two reasons number one in the introduction i wanted to put a disclaimer and that disclaimer is look don't read this book and go quit your job and then write me and tell me how it's how i screwed your life up because it didn't work. You know, use wisdom to make those decisions. And the second one was in the first book I had written that when it came time for me to die, I wanted to die having fulfilled all the dreams. I wanted to die empty, I think is what I said. And, and after I wrote that, I wasn't comfortable when I wrote it, but after I wrote it, I thought, well, that's really dumb. You know, I want to die in hot pursuit of my dreams. I want to be going for it. You know, I want to be 95 and, and still saying, I'm going after it. You know, I've got, I got things I can do. I got people I can help. There are things that I can accomplish. And so I want you to, I want you to, if you haven't read the book, I want you to get a copy of it. You can download it. You can order it. We'll mail it to you. Uh, there might be some on Amazon left. I don't know. We've pulled all our stuff off there because we just can't uh, make any money on there because by the time they take their cut and uh, they force us to sell it at a price, like on CDs, we were making about a dollar a piece on those. And we are, by the way, making a transition with our CDs, so those are soon going to be available for a donation only. So don't take your dreams to the grave. So living true to yourself is a big deal to God. You know why? Because he created you unique and specific. And he had a plan in mind before he ever started with you. He had a desire. He had a desired outcome. He saw, you know, I think it's, I can't remember where it is. He saw the end from the beginning. He knew how he wanted you to be built and everything about you. And the good thing about it is, is that when he created us, he looked at us and he said, man, <laughs> that's good. He didn't, he didn't just say that's good. He said, that's very good because he was satisfied because he created us in, <clears throat> in his image and in his likeness. 
I made me some tea and I left it upstairs. I'm having trouble adapting to this um, clean desk. I'm not used to that. It's like, what the heck is this? It's like, where's all my stuff? I put it all away. So he's very interested in us being true to ourselves and true to the dreams that he's created in our heart. You know, with God, he, he you know, the first thing that we learn about God is he's the creator. And he's the creator of everything. It's not just, you know, a, it's not just, you know, it's not left up to us. He had all of this stuff in mind. Now he, he released us in control of those things because of two things. Number one, he gave us free will. And number two, he gave us authority on planet earth or, or dominion is the word. And he's not, he's not the kind that would give and take back. I'm being interrupted. Ah, Sherry's bringing me some tea. Hello, beautiful friends. She's been out working out. She's been out on the deck and the house is humid and I love it. I love me some humidity. People all the time in Kansas City whining about the humidity. It's like, bring it. I want to sweat. I want to feel it. I want the air to be thick. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sick either. So where was I at? So God is the creator. So he gave us free will. He gave us the will to choose. And he also gave us authority in planet Earth. That's a big thing. So a lot of people say, well, God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to. Well, he can do whatever he wants to inside of the confines of his word. So God, you know, unbeknownst to some, God is not in charge of every little detail that happens on planet earth because he gave that authority over to man. The woes that we have, this virus that's going on, that is a man-created issue and problem. But that's off the track. So God being the creator of dreams, the first question that we need to ask, and more people stumble over this one question than anything, and here it is. Can God be trusted? That is a huge question because relationships of every kind are built on one thing and one thing only. Trust. They're built on trust. But this question, can God be trusted, is the first question that was ever asked to man. We find it in Genesis chapter 3. It was the first question that was ever asked that, you know, that we're aware of. And Genesis chapter 3, it implies when we read this verse, it's 3-1, the second half of the verse. And the story is, is that man's been created. They're in this perfect world, perfect environment. Everything's cool. God's coming in the cool of the day. And man's given names to the animal, Scott Moyer. Because he, he sings that song. I love it when he sings that song. Um, and, and everything is, is absolutely perfect. And then man, mankind, or actually, you know, the woman, you know, and just so you'll know, she wasn't, she wasn't given a name until after sin. Because, and this is a completely another, this is a marriage topic, but she wasn't given a name until completely after sin entered the world. Uh, they were called Adam. That was, that was their name. They were called Adam. Why? Because 
Uh, Genesis 2.24 says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one. So they have one name. But <clears throat> So in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the first question is ever asked of man, and it's asked by the serpent. And the question in Genesis 3 in the second half of the verse is, has God indeed said? So there's, there's the question right there. To question, can God be trusted and can he be trusted at his word? And that is the biggest question that we have to answer when it comes to pursuing our dreams and, and really discovering who we are and why we were created is can God be trusted? Is he trustworthy? It goes on. It goes on to say, "Has God indeed said, 'You shall not eat, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden'?" And so, he, what the, what happens here is there's the implication that God cannot be trusted, that God is withholding something from man, and that He's not trustworthy. And so, we have to answer that question for ourselves: Can we trust God? to order our steps, direct our paths, discover who we are. You know, Jesus, he discovered his identity by what he saw of himself in the Word, in the Bible. That's why in Luke chapter 4, when he entered into the synagogue, it says that he, they gave him the scroll, and he stood up to read, as was his custom, and he turned to the book of Isaiah and there began to read. What did he begin to read? He began to read about his identity, his mission, his ministry, when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the gospel to the poor, and to set at liberty those that are bound and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He, was, he found and discovered his identity by trusting God at his word. And that's one of the things that we have to, you know, like we got a lot of bad religion to overcome when it comes down to us just simply trusting God at his word and taking it as his word, that he knows what's best for us. And we have to blow away all of our misconceptions, all of the erroneous beliefs that we have, all of those things that our flesh tells us, that the world around us tells us. And we have to focus in on just one thing. I can trust God. He's safe. And that, to me, it's like that just, that blows me away. That freaks me out. That I can, that number one, that I'm welcomed into a relationship with the Lord. That was a mind blower to me because I knew, you know, I we knew we know ourselves, right? I mean, we know all the things, all the dirt, all the nasty stuff that we did. I almost used that C word right there. Uh, we. <laughs> We, we know all of how we are and where we fall short and all of those things. And, and we're like, man, surely God wouldn't want anything to do with me. And yet he's our father and he says, you know, whosoever will, let him come and, you know, drink freely the fountain of life. I mean, he's like, he's got the door wide open. He's got the table set. He's ready to sit out on the porch and in a rocking chair and talk and visit and be our father. 
and knowing that and then knowing that whatever he says, I can trust him. And that is like, man, if we can get that one thing established in our lives and say, God, no matter what, you know, it's like going through this crisis. I mean, I find I found myself the other day um, in fear and frustration and, uh, you know, just in really starting to get angry. And for those of you that resort to anger as a defense, just let me know. Let me tell you something. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. James, uh, in the book of James, it says that the wrath of man will not produce the righteousness of God. So all of our anger will not, righteousness being defined as, as it should be, will not produce the righteousness of God. It will, uh, our, our anger will not make things the way they should be or even the way we want them to be. But I started to get angry. I started to get fearful. I was frustrated. All of those things. And I heard this voice down inside my heart. And the voice simply said, Can you trust me? And if you can trust me, you don't have to be afraid. And I, it just like it blew my world up. And I had to, I had to throw off those things. And I had to stop, stop and say, I got to trust you. And in trusting you, then I can trust the dreams that you give me. And so with Michaela the other night, I talked about kind of the pro, not kind of, I talked about the process of how our dreams come about. You know, what are dreams about? You know, are they only about what I do or are they about who I am? First, they are always about who you are, because that's that's the that's the reason. It's like you know, one way you can um, you can discern or qualify if a dream is from the Lord or not is this: every dream that's from the Lord is about the family. Simple, totally. You can lay that over anything, any dream that you have in your life. That's why, you know, my friend Jim Richards, who was on a couple of weeks ago, he talks about uh, success as holistic success. And in holistic success, he talks about it in his book, um, Wired for Success, Programmed for Failure. And holistic success means that you succeed in every area of life not just in one specific area. So some people will say, well, I'm going to succeed in business, but in order for me to succeed in business, then I have to neglect my family. Or now I'm too busy, I can't you know, go to church or serve the Lord or help people or do whatever. So that's not holistic success. Holistic success is when you experience success in every area of your life. So any dream is first and foremost about who you are. And then from, from knowing who you are and whose you are, out of that, out of your heart, comes then your ability to do that in a way that helps everyone around you and including yourself. So if you don't settle that issue and come to peace with who you are yourself, you'll never be happy regardless of what it is that you do. 
And that's a that's a rich statement right there because I sp- I spent a lot of time in my life running around thinking that I needed to achieve this or I needed to have this or you know it's about the car I drive or the motorcycle that those things are going to make me happy and really until you're happy with yourself until you're happy with the way that God made you and accept the purpose that he has for your life you're never really going to be happy in any other way. So it's best if we just settle in on that one thing. It's like, God, I'm going to trust that you made me the way that you wanted me to be, and I'm going to be satisfied with you. I'm going to trust you that you knew what you were doing when you made me. You see, all of our successes and all of our failures are really built on one thing, and that is our ability to make wise decisions. We have to be people that have the ability. We've we've learned how to make good decisions. Do we always make good decisions? The answer is absolutely not. Do we do we fail? Yeah, we fail all the time. My friend uh, Shannon Wooten over in Springboro, Ohio at New Spring Church, he wrote something today about failure and I commented on it. Because failure is an experience that's common to all of us. It happens to all of us. And the sooner that we get past our failures, the more success that we'll be able to have. And I I have some friends, man, they've been through some horrible, devastating mistakes, bad decisions in their life, and they came through it. And there's not even the smell of smoke, if you know that story from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not even a, they don't even smell like they've been in the fire. They came out of it in such a way that it just really made such a difference in their life and, and in the lives of others. So we have to have this ability to make wise decisions. So how do you do that? Number one, five-word prayer, God always answers. Father, I ask for wisdom. We ask for wisdom. Number two, we always be teachable. We have, to, we have to grab a hold of that and say, you know what, Lord, I know you're right and I know I'm wrong. So teach me your ways. Teach me what's right. Because we need to make wise decisions because, number two, our decisions will lead us to opportunities. Opportunities don't always look like a path to your dreams. Normally, what all opportunities look like is they simply just look like hard work. And if we're not ready to work, then uh, you know we've got a serious problem because we have to be ready to dive into whatever we do. And yeah, work is a four-letter word, but we have to we have to face that with faith and saying, you know. I'm going, I'm going to work and I'm going to do this. But our opportunities are all paths. Our, our, our decisions are paths that lead us to opportunities. And our opportunities are the paths that lead us to our dreams. Because our dreams are discovered while we are pursuing our opportunities. My friend Mark Gunger says, forget about your dreams. What kind of opportunities do you have? Now, Having written a book about dreams, I find that a little harsh. So I, but I, but I took what Mark said and said, okay, I understand what he's saying. He's saying that if we don't pay attention to our opportunities that are right before us right now. So if you're Moses and you're standing before a burning bush, 
and God asks you the question, what's in your hand? All he's concerned about is what you have in your life right now at this moment and the opportunity that you have right now. And if it's only just a stick, or like my friend David Ring says, who has cerebral palsy, you know, David's ministry preacher, we went to school together. He, um, he calls it Moses' stick because he can't pronounce, pronounce the word rod because it comes out sounding like wad. Moses is wad. But if all you have in your hand is a stick, God says, I'll use that stick to fulfill your purpose and your dream in life. So what kind of opportunities do you have right now? You know, Proverbs 18, it says a man's gift makes room for him. And he, because of that, he'll stand before great men. And that word gift there means that which you presently have to give away. So what do you got right now in your hands that you can use? What opportunities do you have? You say, well, we're all locked up. You know, I don't have a job. But what All of those things, it's like, no, don't make any excuses. Just what opportunities do you have? You just start with those things. So dreams are developed and understood while we're pursuing our opportunities. I, when, I, uh, when I came to Jesus, or right before we did, right before Sherry and I divorced, the, divorced I almost said divorced the first time. No, there's, there's only been one, and uh, there's not going to be another, by the way. But when we divorced the first time, I was working a job uh, doing basement construction. I told my grandson, Zane, about this because he's working construction with his dad. He's 16. And uh, I told him about how that I started working this basement crew and they had these panels, you know, their basement height. I don't know. I don't remember what that is, like seven foot eight or whatever it is and three, three foot wide. These things weighed about, I don't know, 80, 100 pounds, something like that. And you'd have to stand on top of the basement wall, you know, so there's nothing behind you and a ditch in front of you. You'd have to reach down and grab these panels and pull them up and then put them on your back and walk up to a truck that was like stacked, you know, 12 feet high and throw this thing off of your back. Just like take it and throw it up on this truck. And the first day I started, I couldn't, there's no way I could even pick one up, you know, and the guys laughed at me. And so, and that was my opportunity. I mean, that was the, that was the opportunity that I had right there. And so I was telling Zane about that because, you know, but then, but then, you know, in part of our ministry, you know, I mentioned that I, I oversaw construction of a build, a 61,000 square foot building. And I wouldn't have had the, the tools that I needed to do that had I not had that experience. And then all the experience that I had in construction, you know, I was a carpenter at one time. I worked with uh, my friend Randy Craig and Charlie Schroeder, wiring houses at one time. I haven't been a plumber. I'm no good at plumbing, man. I need a plumber right now, as a matter of fact. And so all of those things in our life, they all equip us. They, they are, you know, our dreams are developed and understood while we're pursuing the opportunities that are before us. So what opportunities do you have to your, right now in your life? What do, you, what do you see? And what do you have that you can use to serve somebody else? And that is the key to, to finding your, your dreams and your opportunities is to start right now. I mean, I tell a story 
you know, many times I'll get calls from musicians and they'll ask me, you know, so how do you do what you do? How did you get started? Or how did you get started preaching in churches and doing those things? And one of the very first pieces of advice that I found, I probably told you the story before, but I can't see you. So <laughs> it's like I'm talking to the wall here, uh, but I know you're there. But one of the first, I found this article on the, on the interstate, on the internet, and uh, this guy was talking about how to get into the music industry, and his advice was, you start. And what he said was, you just start playing music, you start doing whatever, where, whatever, whenever you can, you don't worry about the money, you don't worry about the audience, you don't worry about the size of the crowd, you just get in there, and you start, and you start working, and you start doing it, and then those opportunities lead you to the other opportunities that pursue your dreams. So you have to start right now.